0: New boobs, who dis? (laughs) Author and comedian Caitlin Brodnick joins us in the studio today to talk about how she took matters into her own hands when she tested positive for the BRCA1 gene mutation. Trust me, guys, you'll want to watch this. This is Book Circle Online. Featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. That one? Oh my god! We are here! Oh my goodness! Welcome everyone to Book Circle Online. I'm your host, Amy Cassandra. You guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Cassandra underscore TV. And now with with great excitement and eagerness and just like super fangirliness, I introduce to you guys the author of Dangerous Boobies, Breaking Up with My Time Bomb Breasts. Caitlin Brodnick. Hi!
1: <laughs> Thank you for having me. This is so fun. I'm so uh, excited. I uh,
0: I can't even. Okay. First, if you can just tell everyone where they can find you on social media. Oh, on social media.
1: On Instagram, I'm k- at Katie Brodnick. And on Twitter, I'm at Katie Brodnick, which is my nickname. It's C-A-I-T-Y B-R-O-D-N-I-C-K. And yes, I will respond to every comment, every tweet. I uh, really appreciate
0: that. She really does. <laughs> I felt so special the first time. Well, when I got the book, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to get to talk to her. Oh, my God, oh, my God. And this is what it looks like. I, I mean, can we talk about this? <laughs> like, those are bombs. Mm-hmm. And as well as breasts in a V-neck like, T-shirt. And it almost, it kind of looks like a heart in a way. And that's like what like I thought. Right? Yes. Now, I love the ideas that you had for the cover that you can <laughs> oh, yeah. find inside. Um, but this is actually really nice. I know, you know? it's a
1: really good it's cover. It's just
0: like, oh, I And it's it. really
1: surprising. It's not, I mean, I don't know anything about book cover design. So I sort of said, guys, go with it. And they asked me to send them some suggestions. And everything <laughs> I sent, they said it was terrible. <laughs> so I'm really
0: glad they didn't trust me. <laughs> I don't think they were <laughs> terrible. I think they had great passion behind them. There's, some- there's something
1: behind them. <laughs> <laughs> something. Some Microsoft paint,
0: yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Okay, now uh before we get fully fully started, we can just have the chat up just in case you guys want to join in. Now, with breast cancer awareness starting in just a few um, breast cancer awareness month, just starting in a few days. I want to make sure that we give everyone the appropriate information. I mean, of course, you see everyone in October wearing pink mm-hmm. and <laughs> I decided to get pink just, you know because of what we're talking about Um, but yeah if you guys have any questions please do not be afraid to ask here this is what we're here for this is what Caitlin's here for and of course eventually get the book guys as soon as you're done watching us get the book (laughs) trust me Trust me. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had as much fun reading a book. Really? Ever. Thank you. Ever, honestly, oh, that means so much. <laughs> and I'm not even saying this. I know. I can feel people just being like, "Oh my god, i like, "No, seriously," <laughs> because she talks to you like you're already friends. Yeah, and so- that's the most important thing. I was like, "Look, if I'm going to tell you." All of my, like, deepest, darkest
1: fears. I'm going to talk about my boobs. Uh, all about my boobs. We've got to be friends. We, so I just decided the reader was my friend, whether yeah. you just you like it or not.
0: Wait, okay. I, I got this from page three. So this is a direct quote. Um, my story covers everything. So the funny, the gross, and the difficult in-betweens from a girl who has already made you a friendship bracelet. I mean, come on. <laughs> come on. Okay, so... Let's start almost at the beginning. Yeah. Um, your dad wanted you to take the test to see if you were positive for this gene mutation. Now, can you tell everyone a little bit more about what the BRCA1 and BRCA2 gene sure. mean? Well, first of all... just to
1: make very clear for my Mm -hmm. story and stories like women with BRCA, um, it's that we don't have cancer necessarily. Mm -hmm. Some women do, some women don't. So I, in my case, I did not have cancer. What I had was a very high risk of cancer based on my family history. So everyone is born with the BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes. When someone says I'm BRCA1 positive or I tested positive for BRCA2 or BRCA, what they mean is they tested positive for the mutated version of the gene. Mm -hmm. The gene helps to protect against cancer developing and growing. It's a protein suppressor gene, so it'll suppress cancer cells. And in our bodies, we all, our bodies work very well on their own. Like they know when to, all of the cells know when to live, when to die, when to regenerate. Like if you think about, I always say like on your lip, like if you cut your lip, it heals much faster than if you cut your elbow. And yeah. just think about that, how your body knows like exactly what parts to take care of when. And the problem is when you have that mutated version of the gene, part of the defense systems to help against cancer cells, that cancer cells are like rogue cells. They're behaving badly. They're not going by the code. Mm -hmm. And they decide to not die when they're supposed to die. They decide to duplicate when they think is right. They decide to bring other cells and make them like a part of their club. So when you have the mutation, your body has less of the ability to kind of control those cells and get them to listen. And the risks don't rise until they slowly rise over time. So when someone says, I have an 87% 87 chance of getting breast cancer, that's what they told me. Mm -hmm. It wasn't an 87% chance that day. It was in my lifetime. But you might as well have said to me it was that day. Like I, yeah. when they said that information, I was like, eighty-seven percent is like a good grade on a test. <laughs> like, yes, that's pretty yes. really high. And then I was like, oh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't shake it, and I felt really guilty because I didn't have cancer, so I couldn't go to a cancer center. I didn't mm. want to take up time. I didn't even want any of the pink ribbon breast cancer awareness attention because I felt really guilty like that's not my community and I didn't want to ever make anybody who had cancer or is going through cancer treatment think that I somehow think that I'm anything related to that I know how difficult it is but it just felt so confusing and lost and there are some really wonderful groups now but at the time I didn't know about it and I think I was too afraid to join any of them like I just thought like if I just got involved in the breast cancer community, then I could get breast cancer faster. Like, I just, I didn't want to be a part of the whole thing.
0: Yeah, I feel you.
1: Yeah, and I, I, was, yeah. I definitely isolated, which I don't recommend.
0: Well, see, and that's why having this book out there now in the world is so important because, I mean, at the time when you got the mastectomy done, like... Angelina Angelina Jolie had just gotten it done, so yes. the attention was like, "Oh, hey, what's that?" And yeah. so then you come in, but people still don't really talk on that new
1: because this is a preventative based mm-hmm. surgery. So preventative medicine and gene um, and genetic based medicine and research is just growing exponentially right now. Mm -hmm. And so that is where a lot of cancer research and cancer treatment is kind of headed. There's this new branch of let's prevent cancer before it starts. Mm -hmm. So it is kind of confusing to a bunch of people, but it's also so new. So they hadn't done, I mean, it's not really commonplace. It was not commonplace for somebody at my age to do it. I did it. I had the surgery at 28. I got tested for BRCA at 25. It blew my mind. I had a panic attack. I like hated it. I swore to everyone that I was never getting a mastectomy. And then at 28, I got a mastectomy. Mm -hmm. So it was all still really new. Mm. And there's maybe like one or two women I knew that had the surgery. But some of them had cancer scares. So there really was nobody like me. And all I wanted was like a girlfriend to talk me through and like tell me what to do.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and see, now we have one. (laughs) Now we have one. Um, Okay, so then you take the test. You're positive for the... BRCA1 BRCA 1. 1, and then you don't get the mastectomy until 3 years later. What exactly like what point exactly did you say you know what I'm doing it. Well, so when I first got the
1: the diagnosis, mm-hmm. it felt like a cancer diagnosis and mm-hmm. I got very very depressed. And I was 25 living in New York City. I had a cool hot boyfriend. I was an actress, like just trying, I still am, but I was like trying to just make it work. Um, And then, so I just started drinking really heavily and just trying to get my hands on anything that would help me like escape my reality. Um, And then I actually ended up getting sober and kind of coming to terms with the fact that I was running from this for a very long time. And that deep down inside, I think. And I felt that maybe the surgery would provide a relief that I haven't ever had. Mm -hmm. Um, Because growing up, I was very afraid of cancer. My dad's the only surviving person in his family, so all of his family members have died of cancer. I just was afraid of it from the beginning, like, since I was born. So uh, when I started to, like, put it together, once I was sober, once I was just, like, even clear-headed – I realized, oh, I think this would be a wonderful thing, and I think that having the surgery would give me a type of relief that I haven't had before. And so then I started talking to my family and explaining it to them, and everybody was was on board eventually. But at first everyone's like, are you crazy? Yeah. <laughs> this is kind
0: of intense. Yeah. We'll see. And Okay, so we, let's rewind a little bit. Um, when So I got the book, right? And I was reading it, and then I think... Maybe about halfway, I was like, okay, I need to watch this, like, what, docu-, mini docu-series? series uh-huh. Um, called Screw You, Cancer. Uh-huh. A thank you, Glamour, for bringing it to life. Um, and so I watched that, and I was kind of, like, following along with that and reading the book, And you see just, you know, like your mom and your dad. Well, of course, you know, guys, if you're reading the book and then you you start imagining their faces, everyone's faces, and then you see them, you're like, oh, my God, it's (laughs) me. So, you know, you can see just how difficult it was at the beginning because, I mean, even the way you told your mom. It was bad. I told her on a voicemail.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I told my mom I was getting a preventative double mastectomy on a voicemail because I couldn't handle talking to them about it. Mm-hmm. It was almost too scary for me to have a real conversation. So I sent it to her in a voicemail like, "Hey mom, it's me. No big deal. I'm getting the mastectomy. I love you a lot. Bye." And she <laughs> <That's> exactly <laughs> what it was. Yeah. She um freaked out and was and I realize now that's like a terrible thing to do a mother. <laughs> but at the time I was like, I can't it, there's so many serious serious things floating mm-hmm. around that I was like, I need I could only handle it one at a time. I also couldn't tell my father. Um and so I had my mom tell him, like I just was, I was oh yeah, real nervous,
0: see, and it's it's difficult, but would you i mean, if you could go back in time, would you have done it sooner? I don't think so, because I think I needed
1: those three years to really feel confident about the decision. Um, I tell that to friends and family who are thinking of it, or who ask me about it, or ask if they have a friend who've had the surgery. Or, or thinking about the surgery, I always say give yourself plenty of time. If you don't have cancer today, there's no immediate rush to get the surgery. It can feel like a rush. It can feel like this anxiety and pain and you just want to take care of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there's no, if you, if the doctor has not told you that you have cancer or even or had a scare or anything, you can take a little bit more time to really work with those thoughts and feelings and just know that the day you go into surgery this is exactly what you want to be doing. And I don't think it's the right decision for everyone. Yeah. (laughs) It's very
0: personal. Well, see, and that's what I like. I mean, closer to the end of the book, you... you this is like this is honestly almost a bible for this situation like you're covered don't worry guys do not fear at all because you really talk about all the the questions you had the fears you had so many fears
1: so <laughs> i many just kept fe- being afraid i'd suddenly explode yes i mean hey no one judgments of my, one of my fears was like as soon as the, she starts the surgery the doctor will cut into me and i'll just like combust on the table because i just don't know how surgery works yeah <laughs> So
0: see, it's okay to have fears because you've been through it and you, I mean, you're so happy. I am so happy. That's what's so crazy is that
1: I'm so happy now. And I think I had really hoped that that would happen. Mm -hmm. Right after surgery, it was very difficult because I'd never had surgery before. So Mm -hmm. I was sort of struggling with like my body's healing. Do, how do I feel about, like there were a lot of feelings then, but I knew that, It was the right decision for me. And as soon as I got through like the muck of like recovery and just like working through the feelings of it wasn't. I never regretted the surgery ever. But for me, as somebody who's never had any type of surgery before, I didn't know what to expect and how fast or how slowly my body would handle it. Mm. So that was the challenging part for me. But I knew that, like, the second I fully healed, I'd be so happy, and I am. I'm just so ha- It's so relaxing. <laughs> we'll see. It's weird to say, but it's like very relaxing to not have to stress out breast cancer ever.
0: Dang. Yeah. I mean I mean there you go. I like that we so need great. to use that for something. <laughs> Just but yeah, okay, so then you had the mastectomy and then you had two reconstructive surgeries. Mm-hmm. So So the, what the mm-hmm.
1: when they do the
0: mastectomy, so what the mastectomy is,
1: and it's different from the mastectomy, is that our grandmothers and Um, aunts or older women have had where they used to have what is done is a radical mastectomy and they take a lot of tissue away and they go into the chest wall and it can be very intense looking afterwards and there's not always that much left for the doctor to rebuild a new breast. So a lot of times, Mm -hmm. like my grandmother had a prosthetic breast after she had her surgery from a cancer. And so, but nowadays when you have preventative surgery, the lovely thing is if you don't have cancer the surgery is in a lot of ways easier than if you've had cancer and go through with it. It, When you have cancer and you go through treatment, they can damage the muscle and tissue around that area and it can go into your lymph nodes. There's like a lot of things in that
0: whole package
1: and cancer is just terrible and wreaks havoc on your body. Um, But when you do it, Preemptively, you have a healthy body to start with. So, doctors just take out all of the breast tissue because all of those cells have the higher chance of transforming into a cancer cell. So they take everything out, but they keep your chest pectoral muscle. That muscle isn't a part of it. Um, and then they put the implant in. And so some women have something called direct implant, which is they put a implant in immediately at this right after the mastectomy surgery. The plastic surgeon comes in and puts in an implant. Or some women, because they're not sure their size or would fit them better, they gradually create the implant size that's best for them. Mm -hmm. And so I did the gradual option. Mm -hmm. And the reason was I had huge boobs. (laughs) I basically had enormous knockers. And they were just like, they were too (laughs) big. They were just too big. Which sounds like an insane thing. It sounds like somebody saying, like, I have too much money. Or too many people like me. But this was a... These were difficult breasts. They were very difficult. They were 32G, sometimes F, and I'm like 5'1 basically, and they just took over. And they were heavy. I'd have to wear two bras. I'd have to exercising was difficult. Walking around was difficult. I was always trying to like cover them because they were so overly sexualized that it felt like I didn't have control over my body and my sexuality. And then I would wear, like, five different shirts to, like, make sure that everything was, like, tucked in. Mm -hmm. And then I'd be sweaty all day. Like, it was just, like, all these issues. So when they did the reconstruction, I wasn't sure what breast size I wanted. Mm -hmm. So it was a very slow process because I got to choose my own breast size, which is insane. It's insane.
0: That's so cool.
1: It's so cool, but also I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) I've never designed boobs before,
0: and I was like, okay, now we're doing this. (laughs) You can put that on your resume now. There you go. <laughs> boob design expert
1: Ooh. <laughs> that works went, yeah i get a lot of questions <laughs> uh-huh.
0: so then you had the first one and then you said okay i'm good these are the right size i'm good to go Please, no bigger. And the doctor was saying, no, I think we should go bigger. And you're Mm -hmm. like, no. Mm -hmm. And then you had to go in again. Yeah, so I don't know
1: what I'm doing. And the thing is, right after surgery, your whole body is more swollen. Mm -hmm. So you might love the look of your breasts, but after all the swelling goes down and after sort of the implant settles, it will look different than it does right after surgery. So when I thought I had the best size, my doctor was telling me to go larger, and I thought she was just like an overzealous breast fan. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, look, girl, I know myself women's rights. I know my body. But she was right because she's a doctor and I'm not. I'm a comedian. So I'm like, I don't know what I'm talking about. Oh my God. And it turns out she was exactly right. So I had to do another surgery. Mm-hmm. And that is Is more common than I ever thought. So, when you have this type of surgery, there is this humbling feeling that I don't have cancer, I should just be happy with what I have. I should just be grateful that everything's safe and clean and I healed. But my doctor said to me that a lot of women need more revisions or adjustments or things to change because it's not a perfect science. Like, you're creating a whole new part of your body Mm -hmm. and you don't know how your body's going to heal. You don't know if scar tissue will be more in the right boob than the left boob. You don't know if oh. one scar will heal differently. Like, it's it's very interesting. And she was trying to encourage me in the beginning, which I didn't really understand, that this is a long process. And you don't want to hear that when you're about to get the surgery. You want to hear that it's like a wham-bam one-time deal yes. <laughs> and you never have to go back to the hospital again. Yeah. But she was saying that, like, it is really important to be – patient and understanding that there's nothing wrong with you if you have to have any adjustments. And I've met some women who didn't heal the way they thought they would after surgery, Mm -hmm. and they just sort of dealt with it and said, well, I'm I'm just happy I'm healthy, which is great. But they also didn't know that it's also uncovered by insurance as a part of the reconstruction package and that the reconstruction can be continual. And it might be every few years you do like an adjustment. Yeah. So it's not A negative thing to need to fix it and adjust it because when you have something so drastic as a mastectomy, where they really just shake up everything that's happening in there, and then you put in a new implant, your body's doing the best it can. Yeah. Um. But it might not look aesthetically as like you had hoped. So my doctor said, "Of course you can come back. Of course we can fix it." And this is what she does all day. Like it's not a big deal to her. For me, it's like so overwhelming. Of course. But she was like, "Yeah, it's it's what happens. It's a it's a." gradual process it's not a one-time deal it's not like getting your hair cut mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like oh okay well yeah <laughs> but I really like my doctor so it's like just fun to see her <laughs> I just like she, visiting she's the one with the shoes oh she great shoes She has great shoes. My doctor had great shoes. I walked in and I was like, oh, yeah. 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 You can operate on me. I like your style. (laughs) There's something insane. I I don't know. I'm sure it was like a bunch of intuition and other things wrapped into it, but I just focused on her gorgeous shoes. And I was like, she takes care of herself. She's going to take care of me. It makes sense. It's so crazy. It sounds so superficial but it was so comforting at the time. Mm-hmm. Like it, there's that was sort of the thing that I realized while going through this process is I was hunting for things to be comforted by the whole time. Mm-hmm. And like in the waiting room, they have this amazing hot chocolate machine, and the hot chocolate machine was, like, this beacon of hope. That it was, like, before the appointment, I'm going to get that hot chocolate, then I'm going to get it on the way <laughs> home. And, like, it just – you, it's so funny. These things that matter so much to you and all of the other patients, we would all
0: talk about the hot chocolate. <laughs> I mean, hey – you know, here we don't have hot chocolate, but now I'm thinking that we should You should pitch get, that. You should really pitch for a hot chocolate machine. Mm. It's cozy, it's comforting, it's sweet, it's like dessert, but you can travel with it.
1: <laughs> most desserts you can travel with, but. <laughs> well, you know, you don't have to worry about crumbs. You don't.
0: Um, and you don't always have to share with people because they think it's coffee. I oh hate my sharing goodness. my dessert. <laughs> you see, I don't like sharing certain. Okay, most foods, mm-hmm, honestly. Mm-hmm. Because, hey, I mean. I'm at it. it. <laughs> yes! Yes. Okay. Now you talked about trusting your doctors and Mm -hmm. making sure how, how much research or what advice would you give people that are like, okay, I tested positive. Now what?
1: So the number one thing is I would say for – if you're thinking of getting testing even before that, okay, yeah. to go to a genetic counselor okay. and a genetic counselor center, and they have tons of them. And sometimes there's a little bit of the wait list, but that is, for me, I really believe the best place to go because you can get some results online. You can get some mail-in tests. Mm-hmm. But giving that type of information, I don't think you're ever actually prepared for it. And you can say, oh, I'm, I can handle results. I can handle tests. But this type of information – no one really is given that. You're not really given an 87% chance of maybe a life-threatening cancer. It's it's such a bizarre, like, mind journey that you go on, and there's all these other parts involved. So because it's genetic, you have family members that you might need to talk to and tell. You might need to plan for your future family. Like, there's so many layers. And until I went to a genetic counselor, I really didn't understand... All of my options. They give you um, therapists that would specify for just this need. Mm. They talk to you about nutrition. I mean, they just cover it all. So it's like a genetic counselor is like an incredible scientist and your favorite therapist mixed in one. <laughs> so it's like they give you the wow. information in the most kind. I've met only lovely gen- genetic counselors. And if you meet one that you don't mesh with, there's always another one. And so I say, and also like, It's usually covered under insurance and you might need to get a pre-approval or something. And if your doctor isn't listening to your needs, you find the doctor that is. That's always my thing is like if your doctor is not listening to you, if your doctor is telling you you're overreacting, but you deeply feel like your mother had ovarian cancer or your sister or your cousin, like, and you need that, even if they're right and you test negative, but you need that for yourself, you find the doctor that will listen to you. And I think it's very hard because doctors are incredible. They're smart. Mm -hmm. They're so great. They really can handle a lot. And they're so much smarter at so many other things than I am. But I know my peace of mind and I know my body and I know what will keep me up at night. And so if I don't have somebody on my team that takes that as seriously as I do, you have to find the right person. And I there's like a couple of times in the book where I did not find a good doctor. Oh, and those are funny <laughs> parts. <laughs> so
0: much fun to watch. But you touched on a very important topic. I mean not to get too personal, but that was kind of what happened to my mom. Uh, my mom got diagnosed. I'm sorry. At a really late stage, stage I'm so 4 sorry. Because they didn't believe her. That's the thing. So they thought, oh, hey, it's arthritis. And so that's why, like, she knew something was going on. Yeah. And so by the time they found it, it had already spread to certain, to other parts. So, I mean, she went through everything. But that's why, and even Maria Menunos, who's yes. in charge of us here. Yes. She... She had, you know, it was a benign tumor, but she felt that something was off. She was noticing things. So it's like ladies, men everyone, listen to your bodies. You are not crazy. Well, that's the thing is yeah. that like a lot of times doctors go, oh, well, you just web
1: MD'd yourself or you're being hypersensitive and it doesn't matter. You might like the, that's so the what? best case scenario. <laughs> yeah. The best case scenario is that you're too nervous and everything's fine, but you don't, I don't feel like for me, I have time to have a doctor that doesn't take my needs seriously. Mm-hmm. And, um, after just seeing how difficult it is and imagining what your mom went through and the whole thing is just like that's so maddening and it can be exhausting finding a good doctor I think it is exhausting Mm -hmm. and I think it's hard like to be constantly trying to sort of like fight for that because the medical issues are scary anyway like like dealing with the medical world and dealing with the fear of going into a hospital mm-hmm. or going into a center. Like, that's needles. scary. Yeah, yeah need all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I can't handle needles. Yeah. But <laughs> but so then to also say, okay, well, now I'm going to go and uh, call a bunch of doctors and make a bunch of appointments and, mm-hmm. and fight for myself. Sometimes it's really hard. So I would say, like, get yourself, like, a cupcake before and after. <laughs> okay. You have to, like, balance it out with something fun. <laughs>
0: or... Like what, fifty dollars? Yeah, at a like treat
1: being nice, like treat yourself quotes. to like, yeah, if you want that, girl. See, <laughs> we know what you like. Yeah. Well, that's the thing you you find what makes you comfortable mm-hmm. and just make the situation around it as comfortable as possible. Mm-hmm. My husband like needs music on; he needs like um, to be in a certain room. Like he just like we get prepared when we have to deal with medical issues or insurance mm-hmm. issues mm-hmm. because it's so annoying.
0: It's and stressful.
1: It's stressful. And they make it difficult for you sometimes because they're you get sort of – you get the feeling that you're being an annoying patient and mm. people tell you, like, oh, God, you need to relax. And it's like, okay, like, that's your opinion. But yeah. this is my body. I might have this intense surgery or I might – I have this feeling. I respect that you probably have a lot of crazy people that you – you know, crazy yeah. patients and other people, but I need to – be paid attention to in this way and just because you're on doctor doesn't mean you're not smart enough to fight for what you want i think that's sort of like the elitist thing of like oh well they know more they've been to more schooling you know i don't want to i don't want to be a a pain in the ass and i don't want to be difficult but it's fine because it's your body so you literally get to do whatever you want (laughs)
0: Like, told you guys. That's <laughs> such good advice because I think people just run the other way when it's like, oh, well, it's, well, it's going to be it's difficult. It's scary anyway. I mean, yeah. the, the medical
1: world's scary, and then if somebody isn't listening to you, that's just like, okay, fine. Like, I guess I don't, I won't push. But you have every right to push.
0: And now we're going to push into the future. <laughs> 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 I tried there. <laughs> so, you, you know, you've gone through so much. You have a book out, and you... Like you told your story through glamour. Screw you, cancer guys. Watch it. Watch it. Seriously, so good. And now you've got a little I way am way. pregnant! <laughs> yeah. See, and I I saw you on Instagram, and I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Because I was reading this, and then I said, oh my god. So tell us, how far along are you? So I'm five months, okay. and it's a
1: boy. It's
0: a boy. Yeah. <laughs> and he's already kicking like really
1: hard. Oh he's like already intense and he's and anytime i'm hungry like i get a little hungry he starts kicking me right away and we we're saying like he's already really bossy like he's already <laughs> hey. like running the ship yeah he's already like let's get going let's,
0: well, I know. where's the food
1: i know and so he's it's so funny one time The doctor said I could have, like, a little bit of coffee every day. I can't have a lot, but a little bit. But one time I accidentally had, like, a cold brew, crazy caffeine coffee. And that day, like, he was just, like, going insane. And I was like, I'm so Oh, my gosh. (laughs) He's fine. But I was just like, oh, my gosh, I'm already a terrible mom. Like, you're already, like, I'm messing him up forever. But then he was fine. But I could tell he, like, really liked it. So when he comes out, he's going to want some coffee.
0: (laughs) Hey, mom. Hey, Mom, mom. remember that great time I had? (laughs) Yeah, I want some coffee again. Let's do it. Now, what are you going to tell him? I mean, you touch on this a little bit in the book uh, about what you're going to tell your children about... Getting
1: them taken out? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be very obvious. Mm-hmm. My breasts don't look like the average person's breasts. They still like, I love them. They look wonderful, but they're not going to look like Michael's mom's breasts. <laughs> and you know, I'm sure my kid's going to check out Michael's mom's breasts. I mean, hey, just you know. no. great breasts, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Michael's mom is hot. Um, so I, we're, I think we're just going to have the conversation be a part of it. That like. I did this to make sure I'm not going anywhere for him, Mm -hmm. that I'm around whenever he needs me, and that this isn't necessarily something they have to do or he has to worry about because science is changing, technology Mm -hmm. is changing, and um, they don't really recommend until after 18 people get tested if they have, like, a family history. But um, the risks don't really rise until a little later, so he doesn't really need to get tested until, like, 21, 25, 30. I don't know. So, like... if When that comes, we will handle it. Mm-hmm. But I just want to be very open with him that, like, it's okay to go to doctors for help. It's okay if you need to make changes in your body to make sure you're around for a really long time. And that, that it can feel scary, but, like, you have all this love around you and it will be all right. So you just have to keep, <laughs> just keep oh, telling him.
0: <laughs> that's so nice. Yeah. <laughs> now, I have... Um, Two quick questions, yeah. and then I want to do the rapid fire questions okay. because I'm, I'm gonna... okay. But the two quick questions: one, you mentioned how you can actually move your implants. Yes, around. I mean it's sort in your of pec muscle, us, but like what? I don't want to
1: gross anybody out. but no. it's, it's
0: in your pec muscle.
1: So if you like grab your like arm, it moves. So what happens is they put it behind your pec muscle the implant, mm-hmm. because without that, there's nothing for the implant to s- secure itself on. Okay. If you think of a person who has regular breasts and gets breast implants, they put it on top of the breast tissue. Ooh. That's like just a normal thing. You just like place it on top or place it in there.
0: It's a lot of stuff in there.
1: It's a lot of stuff in there. But yeah. if you
0: want bigger breasts, it's it great. Sense. You want yeah. that. Yeah.
1: So when you remove everything in the mastectomy surgery, then there's nothing for it to go and it goes behind your pec muscle and i was so grossed out when my doctor told me that i was like that's so disgusting like you're pulling my body apart and then she said it was like a little cocoon and i was like that's adorable yeah. <laughs> that's A cocoon, sweet. okay fine no yeah, well, if
0: it's a cocoon then <laughs> i'll yeah. just take it i'll take all the cocoons well, it was really cute see that's that's cool yeah it's cool okay now the next thing Nipples. What's your situation? Are you still doing the... I
1: can't figure out. No, I I do not know what to do. So some women can keep their nipples. I couldn't for Mm -hmm. my surgery. And every person's surgery is slightly different for their body. And I cannot figure out what nipple I want. (laughs) This is a big decision. so many. There's so many nipple options. There are so many. And it's wonderful because they basically make it so that, let's say, you had only one breast removed in a Mm -hmm. surgery or in a cancer situation. You can match it to the other one that you have and everybody's mm-hmm. body's different you can pick the areola color you can pick the oh, nipple yeah. protrusion you can like there's so many things you can do and I literally have no idea I, I can't I can't choose it and like I like there's like a booklet and you can look through all of it and some people have them tattooed and oh, like yeah but I just cannot it's so permanent that I just it's a can't big deal choose. I know if <laughs> to me it is like to some people they may be like just get a nipple but I like, can't choose my nipple it's a commitment it
0: is, and I can't commit. I can't commit to a nipple. <laughs> I mean, I love that we can talk about this. Yeah, that's so cool. Now, okay, we still have some time. I do want to ask your husband. He's how's he feeling? So cool. Post- he's I mean, so great. Gosh, guys, the way he, she talks about him, is really then, great.
1: He's really great. <sighs> I'm really, really crazy about him, and I'll say it everywhere. I'll just keep talking about it. He's so great. So he's so supportive and so mm-hmm. loving. And I think the only time he gets frustrated is when I, like, suddenly doubt myself out of nowhere. I'll be like, oh, my God, I can't do this. I'm so stupid. I won't be able to do it. And he's like, he gets very frustrated. He's like, no, you're great. We're going to get through it. You're fine. And so that is the only time he's frustrated. He's not, he's not frustrated. He doesn't care about the amount of treatments I need or the surgeries. Like, he's so good. He loves being a caregiver, too. Like, that's his wheelhouse.
0: Oh, my God! Caregiving is
1: his favorite. So he's
0: good at it. Well, see, and that's one of the most important parts, you Mm -hmm. know, after you have your surgeries, to have everyone there. It is. You really, I mean, by you talking about it and you go in depth into like, okay, thank you, mom, for doing this. Yes. Oh, my gosh, you made me cry. (sighs) And then also seeing, you know, screw you, cancer, I was just like, dang. Like, you really do need a support group because it's not something super simple to do. Well, I think that
1: some people can get through it without that, and Mm -hmm. I feel like, I need that as a person. Like, I need – you know, I was very intimidated by surgery. I was nervous about healing. And, like, it turns out I needed a lot of help. And when you are recovering, you know, you're medicated. You're, like, blurry. If anybody offered me help, I'd be like, do it. (laughs) Please. I'll take it. Please make me a cheesecake. Like, I just, like, (laughs) whatever anybody was offering, I was just, like, ready to take because – The process is so crazy. Um, A friend of mine didn't have that many people to help her. Like, had, like, one or two people. And she was fine. She's very independent. She didn't want it. She didn't want the attention. She didn't want all of that around. And I think it's, like, sort of the same... I'm kind of equating this, even though I've never, haven't given birth yet, to, like, somebody giving birth. Like, some people want everybody around, and they want, like, Ah. lots of people, and the doula, and the lady. Like, they want everything. And some people are like, it's just me and the nurse and me and the doctor, and I'm going to get through it. So it's a real personal decision, but I, as a highly sensitive woman, need a lot of family and love and people in my face.
0: Well, hey, I mean, and you did have a lot of people in your face, and you had a camera. (laughs) That's true. And thank you so much for doing that because it really did. So, Screw You Cancer was, ha- mm-hmm.
1: so while it was, just to clarify, while the surgery was happening, we, Screw You Cancer was filming. So, we mm-hmm. documented the whole process. So, I'd be like nauseous and about to like throw up, and there's a camera. Crew. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm like, hi, yes. <laughs> Hi. Well, this is real. Like, this is, it's, right, you know, that's what I wanted to show because that's all I wanted when I first thought about having the surgery. I couldn't find anything like this. Mm-hmm. So, I was like, I just have to put it all out there because. I had a gut feeling that I would heal, that I, I know I have a good support system, I have a good family, and I was like, let me show a happy, successful story, because there's so many sad, negative things, and so many tragic stories, I was like, let's, yeah. let's make it kind of, let's make a nice one. <laughs> and I love that you did. And there's no cancer, and that's like the best part, is that it's not, it's a, not a cancer story, it's an anti-cancer story.
0: It's like giving cancer the finger. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Okay. We still have a little bit of time. Now, I did want to ask you Go. the rapid-fire questions. So there's some interesting ones, and then there's those inspired by mm, a ahead, special, girl. special Go dude. Ahead, okay. So current favorite food? Oh. Current favorite food is popsicles. <laughs> current favorite movie?
1: Um, Moana. Oh. I just love it. It's so it's relaxing. So
0: it's so the relaxing. Music? I know. Oh and God. I love water. <laughs> All right. We'll yeah. see. There you oh. go. Okay. <laughs> Current favorite artist, like singer, band? Oh, I love Childish
1: Gambino, but, I mean, it's Girl. amazing. Yes. Yeah. But I also listen to Ariana Grande constantly. Like, it's just her music got me through the book. Like, it would just, I need, like, fun pop music, and I would just, like, get through because it was really hard to write
0: (laughs) thank you ariana thank you you made you helped make this happen thank you uh current inspiration just person inspires you to do anything um
1: i think my husband it's like so corny but he's like really really hard worker so when i'm slacking i'm like okay he's like literally next Mm -hmm. to me (laughs) working his butt off so (laughs) he
0: inspires me okay favorite word uh butthead it's a good word. (laughs) Love that. Okay. Least favorite word. Oh,
1: um... Ugh, I hate... There's so many. Like,
0: uh... Cyst. Mm, Right? Mm, That's Mm -hmm. gross. What sound or noise do you love? Um, laughing. It's Mm. the best. What sound or noise do you hate? Um, someone yelling at a kid. What smell do you love? Um... I love uh, grapefruit. Hmm. Yeah. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Huh. I think it would be um, a preschool teacher. (gasps) Oh, I can see that. It's just fun. Yeah. Yeah. What profession would you like not to do? Um, Anything medical related because when I see blood, I throw (laughs) up, so
1: I would just be throwing up all day long.
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay. (laughs) We'll see. the (sighs) I wish that we could keep on talking for we forever. Will talk. okay. We'll keep talking. Oh my god. Yeah. After this stops rolling, we'll still keep
1: talking. And you can ask us any questions you want. It's like the conversation doesn't have to end. I think yeah. that's the most important thing is that you, you know, people are going to find out more and more about the gene, mm-hmm. about how they can take care of themselves, and I just I think we need to just keep talking about it. And the mm-hmm. more we keep talking about it, the less intense and overwhelming and lonely it feels. Mm-hmm. So I won't stop talking.
0: <laughs> so, well, I mean, we'll have to stop talking here, but yeah. you guys can always find her on social media. And uh, where can we see you next, though, before before we go to the, your social media? Oh, on, I don't know when this is coming out. Now? Right now. Okay. <laughs> it's live. Okay, great. <laughs>
1: um, on Friday, I'm going to be in LA at UCBLA. So, tomorrow, um, I have an 8 p.m. show. It's a book signing boob show and boob stravaganza. It's at the Inner Sanctum at UCB.
0: Guys, if that doesn't pique your interest, I don't know what will. (laughs) What? Yeah we'll we'll talk more about that um okay so if you can just tell everyone where they can find you on social media and just stalk you and watch screw you cancer and everything where can they you end? can find me at katie bradnick c-a-i-t-y
1: b-r-o-d-n-i-c-k um on twitter on instagram you can find me on facebook at caitlin bradnick and if you have any questions or you want to share your story or if you just want to vent that's totally fine i'm here for you
0: and now, where can people find Dangerous Boobies? Um, you can check it out. Barnes & Noble, Goodreads.com,
1: Amazon, um, Books A Million, just anything. You can find it. I think Target Every- Online has it. My oh, mom yeah. loves Target, so oh, that God, was like a big get, get for us.
0: <laughs> that's a big deal. Uh, and thank you guys so much for joining us. Again, keep the conversation going. Thank you for watching. My name is Amy Cassandra. You guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at cassandra underscore TV. And this has been fun. It's been amazing. I am so excited to keep talking to you after this. And, um, yeah. Thank you guys so much for joining us. And see you next time. Bye. From executive producers Kevin Undergaro, Maria Menounos, and Jeffrey Masters, thanks for tuning in to Book Circle Online. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a comment. To suggest a book title or their author, you can tweet us at Book Circle On. This is Book Circle Online.